Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. What I suggest is, in, in the first instance, is, is you've got to have an open mind. Yeah. So when you're interacting with everybody and you're trying to get their buy-in, I've found that when I, if you go in with, this is the way it has to be done, and t- with that attitude, you just get a wall that comes up. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher, I'm the editor at the GRC Institute, and today we have Graeme Stevens, one of our graduates. Uh, welcome, Graeme, and congratulations again. Thank you. Uh, so, I think you just graduated from the uh, Certificate 4. That's right. I uh, did that in, uh, well, completed the course in uh, December 2020. I undertook the course in December 2019, so uh, it took me 12 months. Um, shouldn't have taken anywhere near that long, but that was more due to the fact that um, with COVID coming in and business shutting down, that the I didn't have the time to focus on on, on the coursework that accompanies the certificate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've managed to complete it within the twelve month time frame, and I think that's the important thing. Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> so. I guess we could really just get started. You know, tell me a little bit about, you know, um, generally about your current role and, and about your professional journey to get there in the first place. Um, okay, so currently I am the Group Compliance Manager at the Star Entertainment Group. So uh, we are a company that operates integrated gaming or integrated resorts, uh, and by that we mean casinos. Um, it, three properties at the moment, two up in Queensland and one down here in uh, Sydney, uh, Star Sydney. Um, originally, I started in the casino industry as a dealer back in uh, 1988. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in 1995, when Star Sydney opened, or the Sydney Harbour Casino, it was then called, I, I moved to Sydney to work um, as a pit manager in Sydney, and then subsequently to that became a shift manager. So responsible for running the gaming floor at uh, any one time. After that in uh, 19, after that in 2006, I was then appointed to be the regulatory affairs manager for Star Sydney, which was basically acting as the liaison between uh, the Star Casino and primarily the New South Wales regulator, but also on occasion with law enforcement, uh, Austrac and, and other areas. Um, and during that role, I focused a lot on our development of our SOPs and changes to controls and looking at new product coming in and um, spent a lot of time being the compliance manager, even though I wasn't the compliance manager. Uh, people seem to have a no clear understanding of what compliance is and what regulatory is, and they sort of all get sort of mixed together. Um, then in 2019, they offered me the role of group compliance manager, uh, owner of business, mm-hmm. um, and gave them give me the time to go through that and organise that. I uh, received an award in 2013 for business excellence, um, which just meant thought, people thought I was good at my job, yeah. and assisted and, and drove the business. Um, I was put onto a 12-month mentoring pro- um program where one of the senior managers in uh, in the star mentored me and there's some uh, associated training that went along with that. 
subsequent to that in 2017 and 2018, I was also asked to be the mentor for a number of mentorees who went through a similar program known as the training, which was quite a rewarding thing to do in itself because um, I think as a, if anybody who does any training of any kind, it forces you to look at what you do yourself as you relate it to other people and, and, and reinforces some of that uh, that information. So that was that was quite good. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that's really been my professional ver- journey. And then in, uh, I think I did the um, Compliance 101 course back in about 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I pushed for myself and some others within who weren't strictly within our compliance team to go through and do that course because compliance is um, in, an important factor in, in any of the, the operations within our business. And then in 2019, myself and uh, three others from my organisation did the Cert 4 course. And um, subsequently to that, with staff changes within our organisation, I've got um, we've got four from our organisation doing the Cert 4 course uh, in December this year. Yeah, good. And, and it's 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 interesting to hear that journey, but also interesting to hear you tell that story of you just liaising um, in between and people assumed you were compliance already even before you were actually compliant. So yeah. it leads into my next question really is, um, how did your conception of compliance change during your professional journey? Because I imagine you thought of it as something quite different before you actually started um, doing it yourself. I did. Um Compliance was always raised to me initially when I first started. It was seen as being um, the people who came and did the audits of what we were doing on the floor. Um, they were seen as often the roadblocks of the people that said no to what the business wanted to do for whatever the reason was and not quite uh, uh, not quite the acceptance of compliance now as there has been over the last uh, 20 years, I think generally business has changed its view of the role of compliance, always maybe thinking there needed to be some sort of compliance department. But um, over time, the value of compliance teams, I think, has been recognised more and more, um, usually as the result of regulator action mm-hmm. and regulator oversight increasing that then people look for the compliance teams to help them ensure that they they stay out of the sights of the regulator. Um, and so I think my view of compliance has changed from that they're a roadblock to uh, this and a department that is, for want of a better word, a service department for yep. um, the operational side and particularly as you uh, use the three-line of defence model. I think with the first line having the responsibility for all the day-to-day operations, they, they tend to need a, a department that will help give them guidance and advice, not do the stuff for them, not, not be the ones to approve what they do, but give them feedback so they can make an informed decision about how they go and, and perform the various tasks that they've got to ensure that they, they are compliant with obligations and expectations of uh, the regulator, the community, even of the company itself when it comes looking at um, company policies and those sorts of things. Um, it's something I, I try and push for all of my staff that when we interact, that we're there to be that that's, that service role, to give the information for 
the frontline teams in the first instance to make informed decisions about how they go through and do things. But then also um, out of the various trend analysis that we do, uh, breach investigations, and even some assurance assessments that we undertake that roll up to the more senior management, even up into the board around how we're going in a compliance space and what work is going on in that area. Yeah, sure. And I think service is a perfect word for it. I think in a past podcast, I've Evelyn Albrecht from Albrecht Associates referred to it as sort of an enabling the business. So I think with all that language, it's pretty much saying the same thing. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree that that's what it is. It's um, it's easy for people to to do the wrong, make the wrong decision if they don't have the right information. And um, that information may be uh, obligation change or legislation change that impacts the way we should be operating um, within the, our companies. Um, it may be some trend analysis that they may not have been aware of. Um, and it can be some uh, analysis around various things. For, uh, for example, we've got a um, just initiated an obligations review process where we're looking at a mid-level managers reviewing various obligations to ensure processes are in place to do that and tying that through to people's uh, KPIs and then doing monitoring around that completion and through to the senior management. So the senior management have some level of comfort that that work is being done, which otherwise may not have been the case. So all of those sorts of things uh, go through and help enable the business to, to operate as, as, as effectively as it possibly can. Yeah, excellent. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier as well is that you talked about people within the business may not necessarily always understanding, you know, what compliance does, what the role of compliance is. So rolling into our next question, you know, what are some of the greatest challenges um, and maybe even some of the rewarding aspects of your career as a, after you've gotten into that compliance role? Yeah, uh, I think the greatest challenge was becoming group compliance manager. <laughs> In, in the first instance, I was fairly comfortable in the role I had been in um, for the 14 years previously as, as the Red Free Affairs Manager. Um, but, but he offered that um, that role, I was a, li and a little bit uh, daunted initially as, well, uh, as to w what it was I'd be uh, taking on. And then particularly when it was involved um, creating a new team of, of people that um, would support me and support the business and, and bringing those those people together and um, that feeling that um, all of a sudden I would be expected to know things that I wouldn't necessarily have known or had formal training in. Yeah. Um, I I was I think gratified a little bit that as we went through the process and because of my exposure um, through the business and the previous compliance teams that we'd had and those interactions, I was across most of that stuff already. Yeah. And so that uh, reaffirmed my opinion of uh, what compliance had evolved into but, and what that expectation was, but also uh, gave, gave me a level of confidence that I, I actually knew what I was doing. And then when I then, you know, at the end of 19, when we did the, the, the CERT 4, in particular the, the first couple of days of training, that we went through to see that um, what the expectations and things had been explained to me by my my managers as opposed to what the training was were fairly similar um, and had felt like they had the tools then to go through and, and do that work. Yeah. And then it just becomes then that rewarding, the, the 
that reward you get from implementing and driving change and seeing that that change come through. Yep. Um, we've done a few a few things over the last um, eighteen months or so where we've uh, rewrote our compliance framework in, in line with the new Australian standards, um, pushed um, some incident reporting um, standards, some breach reporting standards out to the business to provide some training and then see the feedback and change, see the um, an increase in the quality of some of the reporting that's coming through from the operational staff. That means we can actually effectively start making decisions and seeing that that sort of stuff has led, I think, to some degree, degree a, a decrease in um, issues that we may have been having that people weren't seeing the trends because now they're seeing the reporting to then go and take action in relation to, to the trends. Um, so that's been quite rewarding and I must admit we've had a lot of support in the compliance space um, from our MD and CEO who's really pushed that whole concept and um, as others in our industry have been under a lot of scrutiny, and as we've been under a lot of scrutiny as well in the last 18 months, two years, um, that level of support really enables us to move forward in a positive manner. And so that, that's, you know, all of that has been really good in itself. Yeah, no, it's, it's excellent, I think, when you have the buy-in from the top, because it can't work without that buy-in, can it? It makes, it makes a difference, uh, you know, when you... When you're in a conversation and you say that the MD has approved this, <laughs> always goes yeah. a long way to getting people on board. So uh, speaking very generally, so outside of your own role and maybe you've attended a conference or some workshops with, with your colleagues in, in other industries, um, I, I assume you might have some opinions of what might very generally be some of the greatest challenges that maybe the compliance professionals or the profession itself faces. Um, are there any things that you think about? terms of that yeah I, I think the the biggest challenge is getting buy-in from the rest of the business to what's being proposed or recommended um you know when i say initially my my concept of compliance had been they're the people that say no that they're the roadblocks um that when you move it's getting the business to move beyond that and reassess actually that compliance is a positive thing, that they're there to help. That becomes the biggest challenge because often what I've seen is that uh, compliance becomes sometimes the reason uh, people use to explain why an initiative or a product they introduced didn't work. Mm. Um, and so it's a... It's about developing that, developing that relationship with others within the business, the operational side, the teams that are who earn the money for the for the company. It's, it, the challenge is to develop a, a proactive relationship with them, where they work with you and not against you in getting the right outcomes. That becomes the hardest thing. Everything else is. Um, the systems and things that you can put in place. So obligation change, you can put systems in, you can buy reg tech that informs you of what those changes are. You can you, know, you can put your, your reviews in yourself to go through and the various alerts that come in relation to that. You can work with um, the business to write their controls or processes. They're all fairly standard, simple things to do that um, if anybody's logical in about the way they're going to do that, 
the job isn't an issue. It's about that interaction with the rest of the business that is the challenge. It's um, challenging the perception that we're there to stop them earning money or stop them doing what they want to do um, and getting them to buy into the, the rationale behind why those obligations and restrictions are in place, accepting and working out ways with them that they can operate effectively in relation to all of those things. That's that's what the challenge is, and it's going to be different in from organisation to organisation, mm. and it'll be different from you know year three to year eight in an organisation because of the people change within that organisation. Whether it's actually they change in um, who's working and, and that impact, or whether it's they change in their development phases as, as they go through and, um, and as they come on the journey with us. So that's always that challenge, is getting that, that buy-in and, and, and the rationale behind, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. And it goes back to something you said earlier about you being a service within the organisation or are you being the enabler, getting the organisation to see you in that light as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, that, uh, yeah, and, and that's what it has to be. Um, so, yeah, and so, you know, if I was to look forward or, you know, devise other people who are coming into this industry, and into this profession. What I suggest is, in, in the first instance, is, is you've got to have an open mind. Yep. So when you're interacting with everybody and you're trying to get their buy-in, I've found that when I, if you go in with this is the way it has to be done and to, uh, with that attitude, you just get a wall that comes up. It's about going in and asking them to propose what that it is they want to go through and do a and, and build up from the, the root obligation, the restrictions and controls that need to be in place. It's about um, also welcoming people to challenge it and challenge your expectations. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the longer the people are in roles, then often the less flexible they are to do things because they've worked out the processes that work and the processes that have always worked and always been there and don't always see why those should change. Yeah. And we as professionals run the same risk the longer we're within a particular organisation or within a um, particular sort of type of business. So for as long as we're in compliance, if you've been in one organisation and this worked there, the expectation is that it should work in the new organisation that you go to. And you need to reassess those those things because you know there is no science to um, compliance in terms of there's a right way and a wrong way. I think it's driven and the effectiveness of any compliance program is driven by the individuals operating within the business. Yeah. And um, and as those individuals change, then you need to be able to amend your process to reflect who's there within the, that business at, at that time and to challenge your own self. And, have a, and if people accept that you're open to be challenged on your views and why you're doing something and you go away, come back and... Um, can give them a rational answer or even change your mind when you, you think there's something to it, you'll get a much better buy in the, in the long run. Otherwise, people just think you're there to tell them no and not actually think you're there to work with them. Yeah, excellent. And I feel like you've already started to answer this last question that I have for you. Probably. Um, but, um, you know, one of the things that you know, we get from people a lot is that sort of um, the things they wish they knew when they started on their compliance journey so do you have any words of wisdom for any other GRC professionals who are now embarking on their own professional development journey? 
um, apart from doing the GRC training uh, or other industry training in, in, in those things, um, is you want to get a network around you of other compliance professionals, whether you you find them through LinkedIn uh, and set regular meetups for discussion. The GRC has an AML uh, networking um, program at the moment, which is, is quite interesting. And you know, I've, I've got people that have, I've worked with who are in compliance that I can reach out and talk and discuss with. Having that network of others around those in, industries means that um, you can reach out and you can start discuss generically what's going on either within your industry or outside of your industry, and you can leverage off of their experiences, their um, work that they've done to make something more effective for your operation, and vice versa. And um, because certainly companies compete against each other, but um, it's you know it, it's learning from others. You're only going to know and know how to do things based on your experience. And it means either you've got to experience it yourself or you leverage off of somebody else's experience to, to drive it. And that, that's, you know, that's the first thing to go through. I've, you know, others that I talk to are always giving me thought bubbles to uh, apply and think about. Not all of them will I accept, not all of them do I agree with, but there's a merit in everything that they've suggested because it's been put in place somewhere else for a reason. Yeah. And if you don't start, if you stop listening to that, as we develop, as uh, as, a, as the compliance professionals develop, as the standard develops, as the expectations develop, we won't keep up unless we we, we communicate with each other and learn from each other. Yeah, that's excellent. And for anybody listening, um, the AML networking group is covered by Chatham House rules, so don't worry. Anything you say in there will not find its way in newsletter or the podcast. Yeah. Or in any other publication. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all great initiatives, and and it's the same with the, the the webinars and things that and the discussions that have. Sign up to those. Go, go along to as and listen to as many of those as you can. Some of them will be more interesting than others. Some of them will be more relevant than others. But every now and then there'll be a gem in those webinars that tell you something that you may have overlooked and not thought about. And as new regulations come in. In other or in other industries to the one you're working in, they can sometimes have a flow-on effect into what you're doing, or uh, will have a direct effect on what you're doing, just because there's a, a, a breach of modern slavery as that reaches out to everyone. Everybody's still working out what it is they need to do in, the, in relation to modern slavery. But the webinars and things that are out there, the point to resources that are available, are one of the first steps for anybody coming into the industry. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Graham. Uh, this has no been worries. excellent. You're very welcome, Kwame, and uh, it's been a pleasure to talk. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.